Hey, good morning to the Driven Church. I come up to help with the offering. I, I didn't didn't uh, greet you guys in that fashion. I probably should have, or maybe I did, and I'd, I've already forgot. That's how old I am, right? Um, I do have a, a praise report this morning. Many of you guys know uh, because you're on the the family page. You understand what's happening uh, within the life of the church and, and the, the the families involved in the life of the church. Um, uh, many of you saw the prayer request for little Grace and Cipriani. You know, Grace and you know, six years old, seven years old, uh, had a horrible, horrible accident, and um, basically uh, had jumped off a fence. And unbeknownst to this little fella, he uh, it was dark, and uh, there was a, a cedar uh, on the other side of the fence that had a piece of. A flat stock. I don't know if you know what flat stock is. Dwayne Evans can explain that to you after the service. But uh, it's it's actually about a, a, a piece of steel that's about a quarter inch thick. It's about an inch and a quarter wide, and it was about uh, probably seven, eight, ten inches long, maybe. And when he jumped off the fence, that pierced him. And he's a little little fella. And uh, his brother was out there doing some chores and. Um, they were able to get him to the hospital. They ultimately ended up sending him up to Norton's uh, pediatric, pediatric trauma unit. They ended up uh, performing surgery, and uh, he's um, uh, coming home this morning. So that's the praise, amen. And uh, uh, um, the, the little fella has gone through some procedures, and uh, he's in a recovery time right now. They had to do some some temporary fixes because uh, it damaged his colon and whatnot, and so he'll be under a, a certain type of care for about six weeks to allow his colon to recover and scar up and whatnot. But he should make, uh, um, you know, full recovery. And uh, if, if if you guys know Grayson, if you're saying, well, who's Grayson? He's the seven-year-old kid that wears the cowboy hat, the Wrangler jeans, the belt buckle that looks like a a wrestling championship belt kind of thing and the boots. You know what I'm talking about? He kind of got that Lane Frost look going, you know. He'll bust it out around here. You're waiting for him to kind of, you know, you know you know him, right? If you see him, you know him. And he's a, he's a little mutt buster. If you know what that is, he, he, uh, in the rodeo, he, he rides sheep, you know. And uh, he's a daring little fellow, and his daringness probably uh, was a portion of the adventure he's been on this week. But uh, as he recovers, and as Jen and them go through this period of uh, recovery with him, just be praying for Jennifer, pray for Matthew, be praying for Grayson and, and the family and whatnot. And, and I am so thankful to God uh, that, uh, that he's coming home today and he will make a full recovery. Amen. Just bless the Lord. All right, hey, listen, we're uh, in Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 32. And uh, uh, Josh, you know, ha has a job where uh, he can't be here as often as he'd like to be here. And, uh, but uh, I guarantee you that he, he could have told you this morning that we were still in Exodus. And um, regardless, and some of you guys who haven't been here, maybe you're a, 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 you know, you got a transient property in your life to where you're in and out of town and, and so forth. Uh, you left town and all of a sudden you come back. We're still in Exodus. And you're like, man, where's Trent? I think Carrie made a reference uh, uh, last week in a video that uh, I was going to cover all 180 chapters in Exodus, right? And you realize there's not 180 chapters, but it might feel like it. Because as of today, uh, we are on Sermon 54 through 32 chapters of the book of Exodus. So uh, we're not moving through this at the rate that you may uh, desire, but we are moving through this in a manner in which we will understand the Scripture and we'll find application from the Scripture. And you'll leave here with a better sense of who God is because our desire isn't just to get through. It's to understand. It's to see Him, to understand, to know Him better. That's ultimately the desire that we have as a church. We want to be a church that's focused on God's Word and allow that to form and, 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 and be the influence over the construct in which we live our lives, right? Yeah, that's who we are. The Driven Church, TDC. That's who we are. Okay, Exodus chapter 32. 
We're going to be reading some, some transition scripture where we left off last week to allow you to feel the, the move into this portion of the scripture, okay? Otherwise, if we jumped right into the scripture that we're going to be breaking down, uh, we wouldn't understand contextually what is taking place. So we're going to read a portion of scripture that helps move us in that direction, okay? Now, let me give you a little background. Moses has been on uh, Mount Sinai with God, remember, for 40 days, 40 nights. He's receiving uh, uh, not just uh, the, the covenant, but he's receiving the directions of God regarding the tabernacle, regarding uh, uh, the, the society in which he's establishing and what and how they would actually uh, live their lives out and how uh, God would design this thing regarding their relationship with him and his relationship with them. And so after 40 days, the people, man, uh, they become really restless. And, uh, and they go to Aaron. They said, this cat Moses who led us out of Egypt, right? said, we, we don't know what's happened to him. And all of a sudden, these men, and we understand that they were men, these men say to Aaron, we want a God that we can see. We want you to forge a, a God that, that we can put our hands on, a God that we can identify. We want an image, right? That's what he says. That's what they say to him. One that can lead us. And so what Aaron does, Aaron ends up compromising. They take the articles from the wives, sons, and daughters of these men. That's the reason we know they're men. Because Aaron says to them, go to your wives and your sons and your daughters and remove from them these gold articles, earrings and jewelry and such, which they were given by the Egyptians as plunder coming out of Egypt so God could use those resources in the creation of what? The tabernacle and all of the, the furniture, including the Ark of the Covenant, which would be covered with pure gold. He, he had basically allowed them uh, to garner these resources to be used later. And so what happened was the men who wanted an image stripped from their own children the resources that God had given them for a purpose that was divine, and they used those articles and those resources for what? For, for uh, uh, idolatry. And we talked about that briefly, about men, fathers, dads, right? We have to be careful how we manage the things that God has placed in the lives of our children. Those aren't necessarily our resources. Those are God's resources that he's placed on them, and we really don't uh, need to be uh, loosely handling those things. We need to measure our response regarding these gifts, these talents, these resources that God has given our children placed in them. And if anything else, what we need to be doing is trying to hone a sensitivity to these things in the lives of our children. Instead, they strip them. Right? And so what ends up happening, Moses or Aaron ends up uh, establishing uh, or taking these articles. He melts it down. They create this, this golden calf or golden bull. Right? They create an altar. They sacrifice, worship, bow down to it. And they even call that golden calf, that image, Yahweh, Jehovah God. And we touched on that, didn't we? We touched on that. You can call God God, but if we're not doing it God's way, it's not really God. Matter of fact, what they were doing, they were identifying the God of the covenant while breaking the covenant. Remember, the covenant was what? You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first, that's the first uh, command in the, in, the, in the Ten Commandments, right? In the Decalogue, in the words of God. And the second was you should not worship any graven images. So right here, they named the image this deity, this idolatrous uh, 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 calf, if you will, they literally take this and in, in, in worshiping that, they violate the first two commandments of the covenant and yet want to call it God. And so you and I have got to understand, right, that we worship God God's way. We don't... God doesn't conform to us. We have to conform to God. Right? That's what... If you're, if you're looking at the scripture, you just have to acknowledge that. That's the truth. And so God ends up telling Moses, this is what's happening down at the bottom of the mountain. He reveals what's happening. He tells Moses to go down there. 
And so Moses goes down there, and when he arrives down there, he sees this absolute disaster. I mean, they're 40 days removed, man, from God giving them the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. 40, and man, in 40 days, turned their back completely on God. And they're influenced, and we know this, by 3,000 men, because those are the men that are later punished with their lives. 3,000 men out of roughly 3 million, one-tenth of a percent of the people turned the hearts of the people away from God. Such a small influence of men were able to manipulate scheme and turn the hearts away from God. And so Moses comes onto the scene. That's where we're going to pick up, okay? We're going to, we're going to go back to verse 19, and we're going to read what Moses does right here. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, even in this moment, oh God, I pray that you begin to move on, on the hearts of your sons and your daughters this morning. Quicken our thinking. May we, may we see through the cloudy stuff. May we see through that with a level of clarity, Lord, that's not contingent on just intellect, but it's contingent also, Lord, on our spirit. Speak to us this morning, to my, to my brothers and my sisters and your sons and your daughters. Speak to us, oh God, how we need to hear from you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, Exodus chapter 32, verse 19 and 20. Let's read this. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. Now, the, we understand what these tablets are, right? These tablets, the scripture says in verse 16, were the work of God with the writings of God engraved on the tablets. Now, there's an imagery here because you have a man who has the covenant in his hands, right? It isn't as though Moses is coming down the mountain and he sees everything that's taking place and he says, you know what? Forget all this stuff. Let me cast it to the side and I'm in with you guys and all of your debauchery. That's not what Moses is doing. This is a very symbolic act on Moses' part. He literally comes down with the covenant in his hands and he's saying with the flesh of men, the covenant of God that God had established I will break it. We are breaking it. Man is breaking this. So he smashes the covenant, the tablets, right there at the foot of the mountain. Because symbolically speaking, and in all reality, that's exactly what the people had done. With the choices of their hands and the choices of their hearts, they had taken the covenant of God, the very commands of God, and they had basically destroyed them. Or in their hearts and in their sight, they said, that's what this is worth, and they just destroyed them. That's what they had done. And it says, and he took the calf the people had made and, he, and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and this is the water that was, that was uh, provided by God, and made the Israelites drink it. Now, we touched on that last week, right? Remember what I told you, my, my perception of that. Because ultimately anything consumed, we're adults in here, anything consumed is going to be digested, processed, and then deposited somewhere, right? And every adult in here who has a bathroom understands what I'm talking about, right? All right, okay. Literally Moses places the remnants, the shavings, the, 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 the whatever it was, the dusting of this, of this uh, 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 idol, cast it on the water, they consume it, they process it, because at the end of the day, it's just waste. Right? Waste. And then he says this. He says to Aaron, now remember, Aaron's the brother of, G, uh, brother of Moses, Right? He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them in such, into such great sin? And Aaron responds, do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. 
They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know or we don't know what, is, what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came a calf. That sounds reasonable, doesn't it? No, it doesn't sound reasonable. But it's an excuse that Aaron makes. It's a ridiculous excuse. But I've heard ridiculous excuses before. I've made ridiculous excuses before, George. I've made them. If you don't believe me, get with my wife downstairs. She'll tell you ridiculous excuses I've made. And so he makes a ridiculous excuse, right? And then this is where we are at this point. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughing stock to their enemies, right? Now, here's something you've got to understand, man, because it makes things somewhat transparent about the children of Israel or at least the 3,000 men who led their hearts astray. Do you remember what their excuse was for forming the golden calf and worshiping it? Remember, it was the absence of Moses, now, all of a sudden, Moses is back on the scene. He comes down, he shatters the tablets, and all of a sudden, the people get right back in line, and they straighten up. That isn't what happens. That's not what happens at all. As a matter of fact, what the Scripture says is that Moses saw the people were still running wild. So the absence of Moses did not produce the rebellion in the hearts of the people. It just revealed the rebellion in the hearts of people, Right? It was the excuse, it was the catalyst for them to flesh this thing out. And you and I as followers of Jesus have got to understand that our faithfulness, our faithfulness to Jesus can't be contingent on every property in our life being in perfect order to allow us to be faithful. We're going to have to learn, we're going to have to discipline ourselves to be faithful to our God and to our King, to our Lord, even when conditions are not favorable, even when conditions are such that it's beckoning a rebellious response from us. We've got to fix our, 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 ourselves in such a place that our response to God isn't contingent on every all the, the, the peripheral things around us. We'll have to be faithful when it's advantageous and when it's not advantageous in the eyes of the people. Right? Thank you, Miss Terry. You're a beautiful sister. And it said, So he stood up at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. All the Levites rallied. Now listen, how many, now I know I got one because his arms are tattooed with them, up one arm down the other. How many people here are uh, uh, superhero junkies? We got any superhero junkies in here? Okay, now me and my wife are superhero junkies. My son's name is Clark, right, right? Yeah, we're superhero junkies. That's who we are. We're those people. Yeah, the, you know, comic, com, well, we're not quite those people, but we do have a T-shirt or two in our wardrobe, all right? I love this image right here in the Scripture because I, I love when he, when he declares whoever is for the Lord Come to me and it says, all and all the Levites rally to him. It reminds me of this image, and I know Nathan's going to be down on it, and it was from the, uh, the, uh, uh, the Avengers Endgame uh, movie. How many of you have seen Endgame? Okay, the rest of you need to get saved and see Endgame. Okay, all right. Uh, you know what? I ought to close the service right now and just start showing it. Listen, there's a beautiful scene at the end of this. And listen, I'm a DC guy, but they done sucked me into this Marvel expression, right? And so I'm watching this. And there you got Captain America. You got the, 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 the if you allow me to use the term, the trinity within Marvel. Captain America, Thor, and uh, 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 Sheet Metal Man, Iron Man, right? All right? And all three of them, they're fighting this great adversary named Thanos, who is the, the enemy of all mankind, whatever he is. He's a big, he, he's a big purple 
Smurfs on steroids kind of thing going, right? So they're battling him, and he's just destroying them. I mean, he's laying waste to these cats. And you're watching them get beaten, battered, and bruised, and, and broken. And then there's a, there's a moment in it where uh, Captain America's shield is shattered. And Captain America is down and out. And, and you can feel You can feel the moment. It is dark, and it's ominous, Right? And Captain America's looking around and, and the army of Thanos is, is uh, opposing them. And you can, the music is just rising and you can feel it, man. I mean, it's dark. I mean, you're watching this movie from behind your couch. You think, if he comes through there, I'm gone too. And you're watching this, and then all of a sudden, Captain America, being who Captain America is, says, if I'm going out on this thing, I'm going out on my shield, broken or not, I'm going out dying for the cause, right? And you're like, yeah, go Captain America, right? I mean, you're, you're all jacked up, drilling, blood pressure's up. You're into this. And Captain America gets up, and he sees the adversaries, and they're numerous, they're covering the entire horizon. And he's beaten and bloodied and battered and broken shield. And he reaches down to the scene where his arm is wounded and it's openly bleeding. And he grabs a strap like a, like a, like a tourniquet like, and he pulls it to secure his arm and the health of the movement. And he pulls it and you see him grimace with pain. And he stands up and he faces an opposition that is just too overwhelming. He has no chance but he's going out on his shield. And then all of a sudden, you hear this, like a two-way radio. <laughs> Captain, it's Sam. And Captain America's kind of looking around. And Sam says, look over your shoulder, right? I love this. I can never. And then all of a sudden, these portals begin to open, Right? These portals are like a, 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 a conduit by which these people can travel into this universe from other universes. And these portals open up, and all of a sudden, the Black Panther steps through. And you're like, well, at least he's got somebody. The Black Panther steps through, and all of a sudden, hope is somewhat rekindled. And then all of a sudden, that voice that he had heard, that being, who, what's the guy's name? Somebody help me. Boy, somebody's with me, Falcon. All of a sudden, the man, Falcon, flies through the same portal. And now you're like, he's got two. And then all of a sudden, all these portals begin to open, opposing the enemies. And the portals cover this side of the horizon. And through the portals come every superhero existing that we know of within the Marvel Universe. I mean, we got all those. We got people coming through I didn't even know was there. You know, I'm waiting for Superman. He's not even in that universe. I'm like, could he come? He might show up. And all of a sudden, you see them all coming through. You see them all coming through. Doctor Strange. Spider-Man. Ant-Man stands up and delivers Rocket Raccoon. And some of you are thinking, who? And the Hulk, Right? And I mean, they're all, everyone you can think of. And Ant-Man is 100 feet tall. And Captain America is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Captain America, in that moment, he turns around and he sees this, this massive army of good. And he turns around and he looks at the opposition. And you can almost see this confidence just welling up in him. And he says right there in the moment, in the theaters, your houses are silent. And he says to all of his companions and his, and, and his comrades, he says two words, doesn't he? Avengers, assemble, right? And I tell you, it's a beautiful, beautiful moment. You say, Trent, you've wasted 10 minutes on Avengers. What has that got to do with this? Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Osof in the Hebrew means to assemble. Do you know what Moses was saying? He was looking for comrades, people who would stand the ground with him for the purpose of God in opposition of a rebellious spirit within the camp. And he was basically saying, Levites, 
a symbol. And it's a beautiful, beautiful image. But the, the word right there, Rossoff, says something else other than a symbol. It has a dual meaning. The dual meaning is this. It means to assemble and to withdraw simultaneously. Why is there a dual application of this given word? You can't assemble on the side of God and remain where you were at. You must withdraw from that side to assemble onto this side. Right? This is a beautiful image. You and I, we're not superheroes. We're not champions in that sense. But oh, we are spiritual champions called to assemble to the side of God, to withdraw from those who oppose the gospel and commit our hearts and our allegiance to the purpose of God, even if we're outnumbered. <laughs> even if we're outnumbered, Ron. Even if we're outnumbered. The Levites made up one of the 12 tribes. That means 11 other tribes were still out there. And they moved towards God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 and 17 says this. Listen to me, my brothers and my sisters. Listen. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. You and I, followers of Jesus. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. That's what he has said to us. It doesn't mean we get on a ship, man, and we abandon the earth, abandon this planet. But our heart, our conduct, the way we express our life, it should leave no doubt in the eyes of the world where our allegiance lies. If you see me anywhere in any action I'm producing in my life, anything that I'm saying out of my lips, anything I'm handling with my hands, going with my feet, that brings into your mind a gray area about my allegiance, then you as my brother and my sister need to stop me and say, Trent, what are you doing? Because we need to be living such a life. It doesn't mean we hide from the world. It means we go into the world. It means we're showing, we're identifying. We're with him. Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. And it doesn't mean things are going to go your way all the time. It doesn't mean that. But we need to make our allegiance known. Then he said to them, now this is, this is about to get really tough. So we get really tough because we don't know what God knows. We don't understand what God understands. And we always want to read the scripture through the prism of our own thinking, our own intellect. And we want to come to our own given conclusions about the character and the actions of God. Because we don't understand. And God is looking at a nation of people that he has just delivered. He has rescued. And while he was making plans to restore them and to use them literally as a lighthouse to the world. 3,000 men rise up. And try to rob their hearts away from the very God that had delivered them. And to lead them down a path of idolatry that would ultimately would destroy their families. And they were willing to strip their own children. You think they care about yours? They took it from their own children. And God sees this as a capital offense because of the destruction that would be yielded at the end of this disobedience would reach such havoc and destruction, it had to be dealt with immediately. And this is what he says. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Notice this isn't what Moses says. 
This is one of those, thus saith the Lord. If you're from a, the old Pentecostal church, you're with part of my charismatic brothers, you rocking a King James this morning, this is one of those, thus saith the Lord moments. You know what I'm talking about? Thus saith the Lord. Meaning the words that are about to drip out of his lips are not his words. Moses delivers the message. God delivers the justice. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each man strap a sword to his side. Now, isn't that funny? It isn't that God called warriors. God called a militia. God called an, an armed tribe, a military tribe, a warring tribe. He called the men who would later be the priest of the nation. And what did he say? Arm yourselves. Arm yourselves. Now, this ain't some political rant about Second Amendment. I ain't talking about that nonsense. I'm talking about how God takes average people and calls them into a spiritual realm to perform mighty things that they might not be accustomed to doing under normal circumstances. He calls the priest who would be to strap themselves like warriors. You know why? It's a beautiful image of the ultimate priest who too was an ultimate warrior. That being Jesus, he encompassed all of it, fought the fight. I said weeks ago, Jesus on the cross was an apex ambush predator, Carl Bowers. He was a warrior, and on the cross, he drew the enemy in to ambush him and thinking he was killing the king. And in fact, the king was allowing his life to be surrendered in that moment for victory. An ambush predator was who Jesus was. That's tight stuff. And so right here, he says, strap a sword to your side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. Man, that sounds tough, don't it? They go through a camp of roughly around 3 million people possibly. And they identify 3,000 men. Most theologians suggest, and I agree, that it was the 3,000 men who had taken their stuff from their children, who didn't value their own children's heritage, their own children's future, led the nation astray, and God said this will not be permitted. And you know what's sad about that? We come to find out later in it that these were Jews. Did you know when they came out of Egypt that there were Egyptians who came out with the Israelites who wanted to follow God as well? And the Egyptians who were transplanted into the family doesn't appear to be the ones at this moment who were leading the rebellion. They were in, man. And then those who should have known better were leading the rebellion. Insanity, right? And the visitors here are thinking, this guy's crazy. We got to get out of here. Georgia, what are you doing inviting us here? This guy's crazy. He's handing out swords. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. I want you to get something. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. <laughs> when it says you have been set apart, there's a word many of you are familiar with. It's the word sanctified. It means to be set apart, to be made whole. But I want you to notice what he says here. He doesn't say the Lord set you apart, does he? That's not what he says. That's not, it says sanctified or set apart to the Lord, not by the Lord. You get that? You know what that requires? In a, obedience. Remember, God tells them what to do. They do it. And then God says, You've literally set yourself apart to me. You've been set apart to me. And you did it through your obedience. And you did something akin to your father, Abraham. You looked at your own brothers who are violators of your God, your own neighbors, and you said, I choose God over everything. Now, that sounds really heavy, don't it? That sounds, you know, definitely, but you don't understand. I don't understand the effects of the decisions of those 3,000 and the carnage that would follow. 
this is the first violation of the covenant after God gives the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. There must be, must be a response. If there's not a response, then the commandments are weak, are light. But because the commandments were heavy and valid, the response needed to be heavy and valid as well. The response is a measure of the importance and the significance of the commandments. If he just put them in time out, what value would then be applied to the commandments? He said the commandments are about life and death. Right? You see? He says you were against your own sons and brothers. Man, think about that. And the scripture says that he has blessed you. Obedience always leads to God's blessing. Let me see. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 through 39, I'm not going to read that. Throw it up here, uh, Clark. Just throw it up there. You guys can read that. But Jesus calls us to a place of ultimate commitment to him. It's in the scripture. Read it. To the extent that if we value someone over him, regardless of who that was or is, then you would not be worthy of him. That's pretty heavy. You say, well, Trent, this is Old Testament stuff in regards to our commitment to God and obedience to God, even at such a difficult cost. But you know what? The reality is when we're following Jesus, man, we're, we're, there's a spiritual sword that we pack around. And there's times, man, and I'm telling you, I've, it's, it's been in my own life, that my relationship with Jesus and my commitment to Jesus has fractured relationships within my own family, has separated me from my own family at times. And, People kind of push back on me. Some of my own family pushed back on me. And so I had to make a decision, George. I mean, I make this decision all the time. Do I cater to the whims of brothers or sisters or uncles or aunts or cousins over the approval of God? Do I then forfeit, compromise my position and posture with God to garner and gain the affections of a relative? To gain and garner the affections, temporal as they are, in exchange for eternal Affection, eternal bliss, absolutely not. And some of you are there. Some of you have experienced that very thing. It isn't that I hate my family. It's that I love my God. I love Jesus. See, as a matter of fact, it makes me love them even more because of him. I love them so much I can't choose them. I must choose him. Because the love he gives me for them. Because choosing them over him only wounds them deeper. Right? Okay. Let's move. We're going to close. The next day Moses said to the people, you have committed the great sin. Right? This is, you is in the second person plural, right? So when he says you, he ain't talking about one guy. He's talking about the nation, right? It's it, it spread across Israel. Everyone, you. Not you, Ronnie, but you, Ronnie, and pennies from heaven. And Terry, and Chase, and Harold, you too. You, all of you, right? All of you. You have committed a great sin. Now, listen. The term a great sin is only used three times in the Old Testament. Do you know that, that term? It's used uh, in Genesis in reference to adultery. A man had committed adultery. It says this is a great sin. And it's used two times in regards to idolatry. Do you know why a great sin is used in all three facets? It's because idolatry is spiritual adultery. It is one and the same, right? You have committed the great sin. And Moses says this. Moses is a good dude, man. And notice this is the next day, right? Moses has been able to sleep on this, Craig. He's been able to sleep on this. Right? So he gets up the next morning, man. He, he slept on it. He says, you committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I will make atonement for you. Right? That's what he says. 
He says, perhaps I can. He knows that there's a possibility it ain't going to work out, but I'm going to put forth the effort. Right? And then it says, so Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. You know what's funny about that? Remember, it was God who told Moses what was going on. So Moses goes like, this, this is Brooke, right? Brooke, you know you do this, right? God, this is what's going on in my life, right? You ever do that game, you know what I'm talking about? You go to God and you say, God, this is what's going on. My boss, my boss. And then you realize you're your own boss and you're like, oh, me, right? That's when you're in trouble. But we all do that. We go to God, we pour our hearts out, and we identify what, and, and, you know, as though God has been sleeping on this. Right? And so he goes to him and he says, God, this is what's really going on. I know what you told me, but I don't know if you know all this. They done made gods of gold, plural. Gods of gold. You notice that? Gods. Remember, we had just read about a calf, about one image. But you know what disobedience does? It breeds. It breeds, don't it? We know about one image, the calf, the, the, right? We know about the, but that's not what Moses said. Moses comes back and says, it's plural, gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. Now, what? look at the heart of Moses, man. You just got to, you got to say, Moses, you're a good dude, man. You're a good brother. He says, Lord, please forgive them, but if not, then blot me out of the book you have written, Right? Well, Psalms 49, 7 and 8 says this, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. No man can give his life for the sins of another man. Hence, the reason Jesus, the God-man, comes up onto the scene and God gives himself, right? God gives himself. Now, I'm going to close. I'm closing. Here's the principle, and I just told Blair and Hillary this. Blair and Hillary are going to be moving in a few weeks, and they're going to be going to uh, uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, several weeks ago, uh, uh, Blair and I were talking about this. We were praying about this. I was praying with them. And Blair told me this morning, he said, man, said, man we're praying hard. We didn't want to leave. We didn't want to leave. We kind of enjoy being with a crazy preacher. You know, that's not what he said. I can read between the lines, though. I can kind of filter that, Right? But, but they're, they're, they're leaving. He said, but I prayed. And the answer was no. And so we're moving under the sovereign care and direction of God, right? Look in this scripture. You never figure this. You never read this and think this. This is for each and every one of you out there and for Trent Evans and for Bree Thornton, right? Listen to this. Listen to this. Moses says, forgive their sin. Moses says, if you don't, Lord, just blot me out as well. And you know what God's response was? Nope. <laughs> nope. Now, he heard the prayer. He heard the prayer. And his response to Moses is, no. No. And this is how he responds. And the Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now, Moses has blot me out too. Now, God says... Now, go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. No, I'm not forgiving that mess. There's a penalty to be paid with this, and you ain't getting out that easy either. You still got a purpose in my plan. Go and get this done. Can you say, Moses, Moses, I mean, I mean, Moses is being, you know, uh, taking the high road. Lord, blot me out too. You know what I'm talking about? Blot. And God said, no, 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 get up and go. That's what he says. Go. It's a directive. So you and I, sometimes, no matter how noble our prayers may be, if they're not in line with the purpose and the will of God, guess what you're getting? A big, fat no. A big, fat no. We can't coerce God. We can't, we can't manipulate God. We can't finagle God, twist God. And as followers of Jesus, at some point when we say, well, God just don't answer my prayers, you, we have to reconsider that maybe the prayer was answered and it was an emphatic no. But that should give you comfort because God has responded, meaning what? God has heard. And he says, however, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. 
It was necessary. Do not get... It's like my mother. I remember one time we lived out on Crawford's farm, you know, and, uh, and, and I remember, I, you know, my mom was a short lady. Uh, she wasn't the most petite lady. You know, she had 13 children. I said 13. All right, 13 kids. And she bore the marks of 13 kids, right? She was a short lady. She was, you know, uh, she was comfortable in her body, but she was short strider. You know what I'm talking about? She was short. I mean, she's striding like this. And I was a young cat. And you guys know I was a cheetah. Remember that? I told you. I had cheetah speed when I was a kid. Cheetah speed. I remember one time my mom got on me. I'd done something wrong. And a discipline was needed and required. And I was like, turtle, cheetah. Never happening. And I broke, you know, I broke out of the house. I started running fleet foot as a cheetah would run. Shot up in a tree where a turtle can't climb. And I thought I had gotten away. And I remember, and I'm so glad you're here, Chrissy. I remember my mom saying, Timmy. Timmy come out of the house. She said, go get him. <laughs> Timmy was like the, the prime cheetah. I was a baby cheetah. There was no running any further. He reached up and snagged me out of that tree, dragged me, drug me home. And I got what was coming to me from the turtle. I got a turtle lashing, right? The violation that I had committed, that the lashing was provided for, the next time that opportunity to violate that arose, I thought twice. I reconsidered. I understood that wasn't the wisest thing for me. And God says, discipline is necessary for all of us. All of us. We've all, we've all got those spiritual spankings. And we deserve it when we got it. Right? Because he's just. And the scripture says that he chastises or disciplines those that he loves. So I ask you this morning, do you want to be loved? And if you want to be loved, what you're basically saying is I want a father who cares enough for me to get me back in line when I get out of line. That's all right. That's safety. That's security. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with a calf Aaron had made. Hmm. Moses had gone up, right? And he had tried to make atonement. That's what the scripture says. Let me go up and make atonement for perhaps. But he couldn't do it. He couldn't, he couldn't pay for my sin. The people paid. No man can pay. Remember I said that. But a God man can pay. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, it says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 Verse 2 reads like this. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. What Moses attempted to do, he didn't have the capacity to do it. And we were all left, and we're all left, just like they were left, to deal with their own sin. Until, until God said no. I'll make atonement. The price must be paid. I'll pay it. So he humbled himself. Took on the form of a man, the likeness of a man. And said on Easter's tree, atonement will be made. You see? You see that? 
So the beauty of the lesson that I've shared with you this morning in the craziness of the Israelites It's actually the love of Jesus and the love of God to make what was impossible possible for you to have your sins atoned for, covered and forgiven, wiped away. And it all happened on Easter Street. And so you leave a place like this never to come back again. You say, I've got some stuff that ain't right, Trey. I got some, I got some shady stuff going on in my heart. I got some idolatry. I've, I've reassigned value to things that shouldn't have that type of value in my life. I've strayed away from the thing that God has said to me. I've done. But I can't make that right. I don't know how to fix it. There's the fix. The fix is in him. It's in God who became man, who gave himself for you as an atoning sacrifice that you might leave a place like this forgiven and restored. Does that mean that you escape the culpability or you escape the repercussions of choice? No, no, you may still suffer some stuff. But it won't be at God's hands. For the scripture says so, right? God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, so shall he reap. You go out there and you do something crazy and you lose an arm, God can forgive you for the crazy, but you're probably going to be an arm short the rest of your life. And so whatever's going on in your heart and your mind and in your life as you leave here today and you're wrestling through this stuff, I'm wondering if there's an answer for me, Kathy, you know? There is, John. There's an answer for you, my brother, just like there's an answer for Trent Evans. And the same direction I point you guys in is the same direction I lean into myself. I'm always needing, always needing his atoning, his intercession, his love. Amen? And stand with me this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, I bless my brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, through your word this morning that hearts were encouraged. Lord, not, not through just nonsensical talk, but through the, the reality of, of your word and the fact that it comes alive in them through your spirit. I pray, Father, as we depart this building with this knowledge and understanding and exposure to your grace, May it not cease at the doors, but may it go out there where our lives are lived and may it find application out there and may it change us, change us and continue to change us. We bless the name of Jesus by which our sins are atoned, forgiveness is found, restoration is made, and healing is experienced. We bless you, Father. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and we ask these things. And the sons and daughters of God said, Amen. 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 God bless you.